bless you. Take us deeper, oh Lord. We bless you, Lord. Give me grace to follow. Abundant grace to follow. Give me grace to follow. Your grace is enough. Give me grace. Give me grace to follow. Abundant Thank you for the gathering of your people. We declare, O oh Lord, that our gathering is unto you. And it is all about you. Take us deeper. Give us faith to move mountains. Help us to trust you totally all the way. Give us grace to follow God. Father, we thank you. Even as we have gathered this morning, speak to us. Touch us in a special way. Give us hearing ears. Deepen our walk with you. Let our lives not remain at the same level. Move us upwards and receive all the glory. Holy Spirit of God, anoint my tongue. Use it for your glory. Let your people be blessed. And let the name of the Father be glorified. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, we have worshipped. Hallelujah. Let's give Jesus a clap offering for the wonderful ministration from the choir. God bless you all. God increase you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Good morning, church. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse, I will read from verse 26. Pretty, pretty lengthy portion of scripture I'll be reading this morning. So I need you to just please follow me, pay attention, be attentive, uh, because we need to get the context of what I want to talk about. So it's a pretty long scripture, okay? 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 26. If you are there, say amen. 
Just two people said amen. Well, you are still finding it right. First Kings is in the Old Testament. First Kings chapter 11. Okay, it's on the screen. I begin. And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephrathite of Zereda, Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow woman, even he lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the cause that he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built Milo and repaired the breaches of the city of David his father. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man that he was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. And it came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him in the way. And he had, and he had clad himself with a new garment, and they too were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take thee ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel. Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and will give ten tribes to thee. But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me, and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do that which is right in my eyes and to keep my statutes and judgments as did David his father. How be it, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life, for David, my servant's sake, whom I chose, because he kept my commandment and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and will give it unto thee, even ten tribes. And unto his son will I give one, tri one tribe, and David, my servant, sorry, that David, my servant, may have a light always before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen to put my name there. Listen to verse 37. And I will take thee, and thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul desireth, and shall be king over Israel. And it shall be, if thou will hearken unto all that I command thee, and will walk in my ways, and do that, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did. This is what God will do. I will be with you. God is saying to Jeroboam, if you will obey my statutes, walk in my ways, do according to what, your father, what David did, I will be with you. Please, I want you to know that I will be with you. And build thee a sure house, as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. And I will for this afflict the seed of David, but not forever. Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam, and Jeroboam arose, 
and fled into Egypt unto Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now go with me again to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12, I will read again from verse 20 to verse 30. I want us to have proper context. Did you follow me when I read the first one? Good. 1 Kings chapter 12 now, verse 20. And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king according to prophecy and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, Rehoboam is the son of Solomon, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin and 104,000 chosen men which were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came unto Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. They hearkened therefore to the word of the Lord and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. Then Jeroboam built Sheshem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom in security return to the house of David. If these people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of these people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Verse 28. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. He gave credit of their deliverance to two calves of gold. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin. For the people went to worship. Note that again. Went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. Sometimes, maybe when we gather in church, it may just be good that we just read scripture and go home. Just read it and go home. How did this begin? God had blessed Solomon fortified him, giving him peace, made him prosperous, the richest man in the world, gave him wisdom. And after a while, the Bible tells us that Solomon married 700 wives and had 300 concubines. And these married 
700 strange women. That's the word. And these strange women took his heart away from God. And the Bible says Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. And because of this, God said, I will take the kingdom away from him. Not in his lifetime, for his father's sake, who had served me so diligently, but in his son's time, I will rend the kingdom from him. I will, for the sake of his father, David, leave only one tribe with him, but ten tribes I will give to the one I will appoint to take over from him. And a prophet came called Ahijah, and he confirmed this prophecy to Jeroboam. And we saw, ultimately, that Jeroboam was made king. I have titled this message, What God Has Started, Let Him Finish. The major test, I believe, every believer faces in life is the discipline to let God finish what he has started in our lives. At some point in our journey, we all, we all must face this test. And this test is all about our ability. And by the way, thank you, choir, for being so much in the spirit to take a special number that is so relevant to what I will be talking about. This test is about our ability to do what? To trust God. At some point in our lives, we all must face that test of our ability to let God finish what he has started. And why do I say this? Trust is the basis of every healthy relationship, whether with God or even with men. Trust is the basis. And why do we need trust to be able to foster healthy relationships? God created man for the purpose of relationship. Are you hearing me? And for this relationship to be sustained, for it to be found, you know what God did in the Bible? God incentivized man with blessings in order that man can keep a relationship with him. In the Bible again and again, you will see God pronounce a blessing. After the blessing, he will say to man, if you will walk with me, if you will keep my commandments, if you will follow no other gods, he would pronounce the blessing. And why are those blessings provided? As an incentive for us to stay in that relationship. So relationship means a lot to God. God's first interaction with man, just for us to understand that God is a God of blessing, but the blessing is for a purpose. God's first interaction with man in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and I think verse 28 was to bless man. 
Listen to it. So God created man in his own image. Genesis 1.27. In the image of God created him. Male and female created them. And God did what? Blessed them. And God said. So God blessed before he instructed. God blessed before he gave his mandate to man. What was the mandate? Be fruitful. Be be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and so on and so forth. One would have thought that with that blessing that Adam got, Adam would have been motivated enough to deepen his relationship with God. But alas, he failed. When God told Adam to eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil, do not eat. I believe God's intention was, as I'd said again and again, for man to be able to determine what is good and what is bad only from God. In other words, whenever Adam faced a dilemma, a situation, what would he do? He goes to God. God, is this good or is it bad? And God will say, hmm, this one is good, do it. Or this one is bad, stay away from it. That was the intention, that man would only figure out what is good and bad only through God. And when man does that, what does he do? Each time you go to God, you want to do something little. You say, God, should I? You know the Bible says that there is a way that cement right, but it leads to discretion. So each time you go to God, you ask him, should I, should I not? What does that do? It deepens your relationship of dependence on God. Does that make sense? Okay. Just to prove to us that God is the God of blessing and the blessings are for us to build relationship with him. Let's take Abraham. When God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 for him to come out of his country and out of his kindred, the first thing God told him is he would make him a great nation. Bless him. And bless him and make his name great. This, again, was to provide an incentive for Abraham to walk before God and maintain a perfect relationship with God. So when in chapter 15, Abraham became worried that he had no child of his own, God told him not to be afraid and assured him he will have a child from his own loins. But what happened next? This relationship of trust was again, what? Tested. Someone whispered to him, and you know who. Are you sure? Why don't we try Hagar? And this way, we can help God make things faster. I, I remember once, I was talking to my brother. We were discussing about a very close friend of his who had very serious challenge. I can't remember whether it was in politics or in business. Serious challenge. So I was encouraging him to encourage his friend that he should just trust God, that trust God to, he should trust God to bail him out, to help him out of the challenge. And he told me that, as a matter of fact, his friend had confessed to him that he trusts God, but the only problem is that God can be too slow, Sha. <laughs> Same with Abraham. And I'm sure some of us feel that way. 
I know God will do it, but God shall can be slow sometimes. Abraham, almost in the prime of his life, he faced this test, and again, what happened? He failed it. What about Moses? Moses was enjoying an almost excellent relationship with God to the extent that God himself had to testify of Moses that he has hardly seen a man who is as meek as Moses, a man that he speaks to mouth to mouth. At a time in Moses' ministry, almost at the prime of his ministry, that relationship of trust was again what? Tested. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to prove to us that each one of us will face it. Was again tested. He was asked to speak to the rock. And what did he do? He struck the rock. And that act became something almost unforgivable. Why? Because the rock signifies Christ. He struck Christ when Christ was only to be struck what? Once. Of course, I've read that scripture to us before in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to 4. Okay, let me read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just for us to understand that that rock, that is why God was upset with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, I will not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Okay, let's talk about the children of Israel. The children of Israel were a special people to God that God said, these are my people. I will call them by my name. And God was their God. God was leading them. But at the time, the children of Israel rejected God. They said to God, give us a king like the other nations. Let us be like them. And God told the prophet Samuel, ah, this thing they have done, don't be angry with them. It's me that should be angry. It is not you they have rejected. It is me that they have rejected. And what happened? Saul was chosen for them as a king. But in spite of this infraction, God was still willing to walk with the children of Israel. But the challenge was that the king that was chosen, Saul, chose rather to do things his own way rather than seeking God's mind concerning anything. That was the difference between Saul and David. David wants to do anything, he goes to God. Saul wants to do anything, he does it first before he thinks of God. God was still willing to work with them. That tells us how relentless God is in wanting to build a relationship with his people. But Saul, after he was made king, sustained the throne by his own strength and in so many ways did not give God what? The preeminent place in his own life and in his kingdom. Saul found it easier to be transactional with God 
rather than to build a relationship. And the kingdom was taken away from him. So now let's talk about Jeroboam because of time. In the story we just read, Jeroboam, we see, was chosen by God. Did you follow the story? Was chosen by God. The same God who orchestrated events that put him on the throne of Israel in fulfillment of the prophecy that that prophet Ahijah gave to him directly in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 29 to verse 39. After Jeroboam ascended the throne, he thought that God who put him on the throne will not be able to keep him on the throne. Did you see the irony? God chose him out of thousands to be king in Israel. He became king and he began to think that the God who made him king will not be able to keep him as king. And what did he do? He made two calves of gold and gave the gold or the calves credit for bringing Israel out of bondage. Now, I want to do something for us to fully understand this, then I delve fully into this, just to buttress this because of time. I could go on and on and show examples of great men in the Bible who faced this test, just for us to know that at some point we will face it. Jesus Christ himself even faced the test. How did he face the test? In the Garden of Gethsemane. For Jesus to come and to be the savior of mankind, it had been agreed in heaven. And he came. And after he came, at a point, he began to struggle and said to God, must mankind be saved by me dying? Is there no other way we can do it? In other words, what did Jesus want to do? He wanted to opt out of the reason why he came to the face of the earth. And we had shared this. No, it started in the spirit, but he did not want to end it in the spirit. We shared this last week. What was Jesus here to do? He was here to be a perfect sin bearer. Why was, he, was it necessary for Jesus to be our perfect sin bearer? One major reason. One major reason. To restore our relationship with God. Adam sinned, and the relationship was broken. God brought about animal sacrifice as an atonement. But we saw from the Bible that animal sacrifice can only cover, but cannot take away sin. And God said to himself, mm -mm, this is not exactly what I want. I have to send somebody who is a perfect sin bearer, somebody who is sinless. And that person was who? Jesus Christ. So when he came, and he sacrificed his life because it is only through the shedding of blood that sin can be atoned for. When he shed his life, he satisfied the wrath of God and man became reconciled to God in relationship. And that is why I said last week, Jesus did not die to bring us religion. Jesus died to bring us into a relationship. Does that make sense? Church, are you hearing? Yes, 
So all you that contract release and people to pray for you and talk to God for you, you are not in a relationship, oh, you are in religion. All you that think that you can only have access to God through men, other men like you that God created, you are not in a relationship. You are in what? Religion. The veil of the temple was torn into two. Why? In the old, only the priests had access into that place. But when the veil was torn, what was God saying? Every one of us now has access into the Holy of Holies. And we saw from scripture that it pleased God to bruise him, to make him go through that pain in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. So Jesus went through all that pain for one simple reason, for us to have a relationship a relationship, a relationship. Now, let me go back to the story. Brethren, I want you to know this morning that there will always be times when it seems like God is silent, when it seems like God is very distant and far. At those times, what is happening? God is searching your heart. The state of your heart is dependent on the nature of your relationship. And that is why David stands out as an Old Testament believer. And Paul, Apostle Paul, stands out as a New Testament believer. Let me give us an example of David standing out and why God said David is a man after his heart. When you're after somebody's heart, what is that? That's the deepest form of relationship. David always sought God's opinion in virtually everything. If you remember the story, where's that story? In 1 Samuel chapter 30. When the king of the Philistines had told David, go back, don't go and fight with us. Because my generals feel that if you fight with us, you can join forces with the children of Israel and fight us. Go back home, you're a good person, we have no problem with you. The Bible says that when David got back to Ziklag, where they were, he saw that the city had been burned. His wife, their wives, their daughters, and their properties were burned. What did David do? David sought from God. These people that took my wife and my children, or took our wives, our children, and our properties, should I pursue them? Should I recover? Brethren, who does that? You come to your house, and you hear some people have just ransacked your house, and have taken your wife and daughter. They are just down the road, they are going. What will be the natural thing any human being will do? You pursue them. And here is a man who rather than follow impulse, stopped and said, God, what should I do? 
So if God had told David, don't pursue, so David would have said, there goes my wife, there goes my daughter, bye, see you in the next life, let me start a new life. That is why I ask, who does that? You see why God says this is a man after my heart. You see why there are levels of relationship. Levels of dependence on God. That is what a man like you and I did to show the kind of relationship that he has. And it is the same God, this same God that you and I are playing with. So when we get to heaven, David will stand and we will stand. God said, don't do this. In all of your life, 198 out of 100 times that God asked you not to do something, you did it. 98 out of 100. And there's another man, 99 out of 100 times that God asked him to do something, he did it. Both of you will stand and you expect you will give in, give in the same position, are we? Apostle Paul. Remember the story of Apostle Paul. There's this man, a prophet called Agabus. He came, took belt, tied it, stretched it, and said, whoever owns this belt, who owned the belt? Paul. Whoever owns this belt, what I did to it now is what will happen to him when he goes to evangelize, when he goes on a missionary journey. A respected prophet. And all of the people around Paul started saying, ah, thank God for revelation, no? that God showed what will happen to you, so don't go. What was Paul's reaction? Paul was upset with them. How come you people want to stop me from destiny, from doing the will of God? You know, we today, if that is what happened to us, you come and give testimony that I was going to Aja to go and evangelize, oh, and God showed me that when I get to Aja, ah, they will beat me up. Please thank God with me, oh, that God revealed this matter to me. Thank God, thank God. The same Christian that you are, somebody saying no, that that revelation is for me to go and suffer it for the sake of Christ. It's no surprise that Paul is like that because you can see from the foundation of his ministry when God gave him the heavenly revelation, the Bible says he conferred with what? No flesh. God was his anchor. Relationship. And my question to you this morning is how are you running your race? How are you fighting your fight? Whether in marriage or in business or even in ministry. This is one area. If you are a believer, you will be involved in one way or the other. How are you fighting your fight? Tests come in marriage. Let me take marriage first. Perhaps you have been married for a long time and things are not working out. And pressure is being brought to bear on you. Oh, maybe a child has not come in the marriage. Oh, maybe you have a husband that is philandering. Or one thing or the other. And after a while, 
you begin to seek solutions outside of God. Test come. Maybe you have started contemplating solutions and alternatives outside of God to save your marriage, to ward off the pressure, for you to have a child. For some people, they have children. They say you must have a son. You are now beginning to look elsewhere to see how you can make that happen. Remember. Remember. If it is not God, it cannot be like God. You know that commercial, if it is not Panadol, it is not the same thing as Panadol. Tests will show up in business. When I say business, it could be your career. It could be you are a businessman. You have worked on a project, giving it so much energy. And last minute, something comes up. For that project to go through and you say ah it's just this one thing now let me just do it God will understand what I'm talking about when I say let me just do that thing God will understand I'm not talking about you your boss in your career has sat on your promotion I'm not talking about you writing a protest letter to the MD. I'm not talking about you writing a letter of appeal to his supervisor for him to look into the case. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you doing just one thing that involves sin. And you say God will understand. It's not just to sleep with him. After all, God knows that I've tried. It's not just to give this bribe. It's a harmless bribe. After all, God knows it's not my fault. That is what I'm talking about. The test will come. In ministry. Oh yes, it does. You started well. I have seen people that God has used mightily in ministry in the prime of their ministry, they begin to manipulate things just to stay popular and to stay relevant. I don't know if anybody understands me. I don't know if anybody understands me. Because that was the problem of Jeroboam. Okay, perhaps I should share a testimony. There's this transaction I have been into for eight, eight months or so. I think I've mentioned it a couple of times. Up and down, up and down, up and down. Put so much energy. And last week, the transaction was closed. But just immediately after the transaction was closed, something that had been lying there, just, you know, there. It was there, but it was not so much of an issue. Read its head. It was a major and a fundamental issue. And I was faced with a dilemma. This transaction has just been closed. If I reveal this information to my client, what I'm doing by that is for also the client to bring it to the knowledge of the other party. 
and this transaction that had just been closed can do what? Can scatter. Money is returned and everybody go back home. As I was struggling with this, of course, you know what is the struggle? I'm to be paid fees. So after everything has finished, you mean that this is how this thing will go? So while struggling with this, a scripture came to my head. Please put Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. It says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? What's the relevance of this scripture? When this transaction came to me, I was not in the country. This client texted me, are you interested? I looked at it. I said, this must be a time waster. But just to be polite, I responded to the text, I am presently out of the country. When I return, I will look into it and I will get back to you. The truth of the matter was that at that time, I had no real intention of reverting. And we came back. One week, two weeks, three weeks, this person called. I, I, I've not heard from you. I said, oh, that's true. Okay, let me look at it. So I looked at it more critically, asked one question, two questions, and all that. The thing began to make sense a little bit, and I put my head inside. And that is what I have been doing one month, two months, three months, eight months, until last Friday. So what am I trying to say that? It was a transaction that I did not do anything to do. It was what? God that brought it to me. Are you so foolish that what you started in the spirit, you will now finish it in the flesh? So that was what came to me, that if God is the one who brought this, why do I want to use my hand to finish it? So I picked my phone and I typed a text. The client is abroad and typed a text of exactly what has happened, the implications of what has happened, and the likelihood of this transaction breaking. As I speak to you now, I don't know what will happen. But you know the interesting thing is that I have peace. When the Bible talks about peace that passes human understanding, you may not know it until you walk with God. It's all about what? Trust. What is the kind of trust God is calling us to? I've shared this story before of a man that was climbing a mountain. He climbed to a very high height in the mountain and slipped. As he was falling down, falling down, he held on to a shrub in the mountain. And as he was hanging on that mountain, on that shrub, he started shouting, crying, is there anyone here to help me? Is there anyone here to help me? Lord, help me. And he heard a voice, yeah, I'm here. Lord, is that you? Yes, it is me, Lord. What should I do, oh Lord? And he said, let go. What did the man do? Is there anyone else here? to help me. Anyone else here to help me? That is where we usually are with God. 
God will always put us in a situation where we have to choose. Is there an alternative? We oftentimes will always go for the plan B. Oh, I have a headache. God will heal me. Then you look at the Panadol. God will heal me. Bo, one, two tablets of Panadol will not hurt. And you put it inside your mouth. Oh, my rent. I'm believing God to pay my rent. I'm believing God. Oh, my uncle, I know that he just, they just paid him for the contract oh, last week. Oh, God, I'm believing you. My uncle, my uncle, my uncle. Next in text to him. Help me. Is there anyone else to help me? That is not trust. When you trust God, you trust him totally. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Lean not to your own understanding. And what? He will direct your paths. Jeroboam became king. Became what we can call a placeholder for the throne of Israel. You know how God loves David. The same God says to Jeroboam, these people have messed up. But like I was with David, I will be with you. Somebody he dragged from Ajegunle, from Papa Jao, from nowhere and put him on the throne who did nothing to become there. God was telling him this. You know how David is a man after my heart. But what I did for David, I will do it for you. If you hearken to my voice, if you follow my uh, uh, commandments, what next did God say? If you do these things, I will be with you. When Jesus called the disciples, he did not call the disciples to go and preach. Oh. He called them that they, what? they may be with him. Relationship is what is paramount in the heart of God. All Jeroboam needed is to build that relationship with God. Trust me, if you don't have a relationship with God, when the critical time matters, just like this man fell, you also will fall. Build that relationship in the most simple things today. Those little things that appear not to matter much and they seem meaningless to you or to God, begin to build that relationship. Are you in a challenge? Are you in a battle? Are you in a state of confusion? Is there something not right in your life? Why don't you begin to trust God for it? Trust God to get you out of it. And God will show himself. You see, what is relationship? Jeroboam built, made two calves of gold and said that the children of Israel should what? Worship. What is worship? Worship is relationship. Worship is treasuring God above everything else and anything else. That is the deepest form of relationship. Worship is not simply I love you Lord and I live. That can help in bringing you closer to God but that's not worship. True worship is true relationship. When you treasure God above anything else. That is the greatest form 
of worship. And God says that if you do this, I will bless you. I will bless you. God is so and more eager, too eager to bless us. And he has told us from his word. He puts the blessings before, but says, for you to be blessed, do what? Be in a relationship with me. Brethren, I'm urging you, urging you, walk with God. God is good. God is faithful. God will show himself strong. But you will face situations in your life that will test this in your life. When you come to that critical point, the choice will be yours to hold on or to let go. Shall we rise? I want you to first of all, if you're here and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, that is the first step to beginning a relationship. You cannot have a relationship with somebody you have not come to know and you have not come to meet. I want to offer you an opportunity to begin that relationship today. If you are here, you do not know Jesus, I want you to lift up your hand. I want to pray with you. That's all I want to do. I just want to walk you through that path that would bring you into a solid relationship with him. Just lift up your hand. I want to pray with you. Is there anyone here who's saying, Jesus, I need you to come into my life to be my Savior and my Lord? Anyone? For the rest of us, I want us to lift up our voices. Let's lift up our voices to God, asking him for grace. Let him cause grace to rest upon our lives, to stand to the very end. We need that grace. Oh, is trusting God an easy thing? It's not an easy thing. I can tell you that. It has never been an easy thing. But when you allow his grace to carry you, trusting God will not be by your strength. It will be by his grace. I want us to ask God for grace, grace upon our lives, to stand to the very end. Lord, give me that grace. Give me the grace to stand to the very end. As the days get darker, as the times get darker, because the world is getting darker, let his grace sustain us. And let his grace sustain us not to be able to seek substitutes or alternatives, alternatives outside of God. That's the grace we need. Not to seek substitutes. Not to look for alternatives. Not to make plan B's outside of God. Lord, give me that grace. Give me that grace. Grace to follow to the end. To the very end, give me the grace. Having come this far, O oh God, let your grace sustain me. Do not turn your back on me, O oh God. Do not leave me to myself. Don't leave me to my own devices, O oh God. Let your grace bear me. Let your grace carry me. So that I will not fall into the temptation of concluding in the flesh what already has started in the spirit. Lord, may that not be my portion. May I never seek to finish in the flesh what I have already started in the spirit. Lord, may that not be my portion. Help me to stand to the very end. Even if I have to be the last man standing, let me be the one standing, O oh God, in the name of Jesus. Why? Because if it is not God, it cannot be like God. Lord, I have you only as my God. 
I have no other gods besides you. Lord, be my strength. Be my shield. I'm not hearing you pray. Be my buckler. Be my exceeding great reward. Father, in the name of Jesus, I need you, O God. I need no other gods. I need only you, O God. Help me. Bear me on your wings, O God. Carry me, O God, through this treacherous life, O God, that I do not fall by the wayside. Lord, deepen my faith, O God. Deepen my faith, O God. Help me to make my anchor in you. Be the anchor of my soul, O God. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I bless you. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you. Begin anew with me, O God. Give me a new beginning of faith, a new beginning of strength, a new beginning of grace in you. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, I bless you. Deepen my work with you. Deepen my relationship with you, O God. In the mighty name of Jesus, I want to feel your warm embrace around me, O God. Father, in the name of Jesus, make me inseparable from you, O Father. O Lord God, not, not turmoil, not challenges, not, not trouble, not even earthquakes will separate me from your love. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I bless you. Lord, I give you glory. And so shall it be. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Our Father and our God, we bless you and we thank you. Let your word take deep root. Deep, deep root in our hearts. Be the anchor of our souls. Be our strength. Our buckler. Our exceeding great reward. Cause your grace to come upon our lives. That each one of us, Lord God, at those critical moments, will stand and stand to the very end. As times as days as years and even as the world gets darker let your grace sustain us give us wisdom and the resolve not to seek alternatives outside of you the temptation oh God to finish in the flesh what already has started in the spirit. Father, may we overcome it. In the name of Jesus. Give us capacity that is beyond our natural abilities. That our lives will be your praise. Our lives will be your worship. And even you, O oh Lord, will testify of us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen.